Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rumor Flies. I'm Greg. And I'm Joshua. I'm Ryan. <laughs> uh, he, just, he, did, he did the thing! He did the thing! So, yes, welcome to another episode of Rumor Flies, everybody. Thank you so much for your patience. We are excited to get another episode underway. Uh, yes. I believe this is, what, episode seven? Seven. Yeah, of the season? sounds like it. Woo, baby. So, I'm editing this one, so we'll, I'm, we'll, we'll see how that works out. So anyway, yeah, we're doing hurricane myths. It is our third attempt to record this episode. So we are at last getting underway. We're finally knocking it out. Yeah, we decided to do an episode on the reason why all the episodes are taking so long to come out this season. Yes, we are. To be fair, I believe we've only had one episode technically be late now. But we love y'all. Thank you for loving us and thank you for putting up with it. This is going to be a good one, I promise. I don't think we talked too much about Ida, but we're we're fine. It we you know it's nothing that can't be replaced and shit like that. We're fine. Um, I got to go on a mandatory vacation to Austin for a little bit <laughs> with a uh, cat with a feeding tube in its neck, and then we all ended up just like, uh, you your guys y- y'all's house did fine, right? I I was okay. Yeah, I I lucked out. I was um I I'm much farther north than the two of you. So uh, I was on the better side of the hurricane, which we'll get to. <laughs> I had some damage to my home office, but it was all superficial stuff. The problem was it got to the electrical. So that was part of the delays was like we were all kind of like Ryan had really unreliable Internet. I didn't even have my office to use. So like all my equipment was basically worthless. It, it was just a whole thing. We were like, OK, screw this. We're on it. We're on a hiatus until we get this crap sorted. <laughs> I have researched like seven different religions just so I could make sigils or prayers just so my Internet stays up during this time that we're recording. We all lost power. We all lost, you know, uh, Internet, obviously, you know, th- there was there was delays that uh, we all incurred uh, some much more than others. But, you know, like you said, we're good. We're fine. Think we're, we're, we're vibing. We're good. Healthy and safe. Exactly. And back in action. And so let's talk about the thing that totally threw our season into disarray. Right. The midpoint. We're covering hurricane. <laughs> now we know this seems niche, but guess what, everybody? Due to global conditions, all of you might get to experience one of these one day. So strap oh, in. Jesus Christ. Look, this is preventative measures for everyone. Look, you joke, but Ida hit us and my buddy who moved to Maine was feeling the effects a couple days later. So, you know, <laughs> dude, fucking Greenland got hit by a hurricane recently. Greenland. Come yeah, on. You know, it, it is what it is, man. So we're, we're trying to educate and help like we always do. This is just uh, yeah. a, now a much bigger issue than we previously thought about because of how wacky and wonky hurricanes are. Yep. So this is gonna be a combination of what are hurricanes and different myths about the actual storms and as well as information slash myths about how to prepare for them. So you'll kind of get a mix of both here. And uh, to kick it off, it's actually going to be me, unless y'all have anything y'all want to say before we get started. Side characters and everything but murder. I swear we'll have another episode out soon. (laughs) I actually, I'll talk to y'all about that after. Oh. um, Because I have some ideas. With that in mind, the first thing we want to talk about is the eye of the storm. So we're going to kind of gloss over what a hurricane is. Most of y'all probably know hurricanes are storms with wind speeds exceeding uh, 74 miles an hour. They have a cyclone pattern and they have a hollowed out eye in the middle. Usually it happens during the summers into the early fall, especially in tropical climates. 
Basically, they are very, 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 very large storms. Many, many wiles, wiles, many wiles, <laughs> many, many, many miles wide um, that can sometimes even have tornadoes come out of them. But usually they're marked by high winds and lots of rain. Uh, if you're in the Gulf South, you have absolutely experienced a hurricane. Uh, but, you know, other places get them, too, which I'm sure we'll be hitting throughout this conversation. Yeah. And one of the th well, one of the things I wanted to mention was just like everything that we have locally around here, we have a hurricane season, just like there's Mardi Gras, there's a crawfish season, there's an oyster season. But there isn't there is an actual hurricane season that we deal with. Uh, and I believe yeah. it's from June to November, somewhere in there, May to November, something like that. Uh, yeah, we're just we're just like seeing the uh, end of hurricane yep. season per se. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a double edged sword because I love summer and I love fall and everything, but I don't love the things that I have to keep checking, like the uh, National Weather Service app for. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a fun thing living in the South where you have to like cut out some time in your uh, life where you're just like, hey, I don't know if you should come down here at this time because my home night might not be there at this point. Yeah. At that point, like during the summer. <laughs> yeah. No. It's fine, though. Also, everybody, uh, you know what? I am going to do a plug. Everybody donate to the Cajun Navy. They're great. Oh, they're wonderful. Ryan, why don't you explain what the Cajun Navy is? They are a direct action um, uh, mutual aid group that uh, does everything from get some fucking boats to go through flooded waters to get people supplies or get their asses out of their homes to get them to a safer spot. Yep. Um, anything from, like, setting up housing and shit. They are very good at what they do. There's a couple of different branches of it. I'm not going to give you any particular one. I don't think there's any scam Cajun navies out there, but just, you know, check. And if you have a problem with figuring out if it's the right one to donate to, hit one of us up. We'll be able to tell you. All right. Hell yeah. Cajun Navy, baby. <laughs> so with all of that in mind, we're going to kick it off with one of the topics that kind of came up towards the end when we were brainstorming this one. I, I've always kind of it's one of the things we all kind of half know, right? So there's the eye of the storm, and it's not a metaphor. There's literally just a large gap um, right in the middle of hurricanes that the cyclone kind of spins around. And generally, my, my understanding of it prior to research, um, and may continue to be my understanding of it, is that it's basically a clear weather area. You could stand in the eye of the storm and see the walls of the storm all around you, the, the turmoil and all that, but you have clear, potentially even blue skies and you're just uh, right in the right in the middle of it before you get slammed by the other side of the storm. What's what's y'all's understanding of it? I um, I tend from to, to go uh, lean back to the the ancient philosopher Lin Manuel Miranda, where oh he God. talks about the the eye of the hurricane. There is quiet, but uh, I I always assume the same thing where you have the eye of the storm where there's nothing going on. And, and funny enough, one of my first memories, that was actually poetic. I thought you were about to just make some sort of like ridiculous joke. No, 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 no. I'm serious. <laughs> uh, one of my first memories was actually a rocket power episode on Nickelodeon where they, yes! they, they have a hurricane that hits the Island. Um, and Otto goes out in, in, you know, cause he thinks that the storms pass cause everybody's still sleeping and it ends up being just the eye of the storm. And I remember being like, oh, wow, I, I, you know, I've always heard about the eye of the hurricane, but that was like my first exposure to what an eye of the hurricane actually is. So that's that's kind of what shaped my belief on this. Love um, 
I don't have anything else to say about that. I mean, I think you said it pretty well, Josh. The only thing I say is like having been in the eye of a storm before it is the most anxiety inducing thing ever. And I really wish they didn't exist because I just want to get it over with in one fell swoop. You know, <laughs> swoop? it's it's no, that's fair because the eye of the hurricane, from my understanding, it's it's not very big. It's like 30 miles wide or or something like this, like a radius of 30 miles, I should say, because it is ten, yeah. it tends to be circular. Right. So I got to I got to get the correct dimensions. But I think I was in the eye of Hurricane Georges at some point. No, George, George did not hit us. I, I'll never forget that one because I, we were in school at that point and they canceled it um, on a oh, Monday. Wait, right. And that was the one that came right up to the, the Gulf Coast of Louisiana, then hooked a hard And then hooked and hit left. Florida and messed it up. Or, no, I thought, was it Ivan then? I'm not sure. We, no, we Haiti, did not get into Haiti, the weeds right? of this. No, it, it, it hooked a hard left and went to Texas. Um, oh, I, right. I'll, I'll never forget that because I remember being like, oh, we're going to get hit by a hurricane and then like some cold front or something. I, I don't really remember. My memory's a little spotty, but I remember it, like it made a hard, hard left. I'm like, that is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. So, yeah, that's that's George, though. Yeah. OK, so it wasn't that one. and I'm not going to bother to remember which one, but I, I have been in exactly one. Eye. Well, you know, anyway, uh, well, let's continue. I do want to say one thing, too. It's kind of like where people talk about where they were when JFK was shot or or things like mm. that, like locally. How often do you hear people talk about where they were during different storms? Betsy, Katrina, uh, Ida, uh, a, a bunch of them. Like I I remember my parents talking about like what they did during hurricanes, you know, 40, 50 years ago. It's kind of like a uh, it's like a landmark in our local history of different things that occurred. I always found that interesting as well. I will say this just from personal experience. Maybe we'll talk about it in the land yet, but mm. I'm not going to forget Ida. I am not <laughs> forgetting it. Nope. That's like my first as an adult. Like it was my responsibility. Yeah, I think so, man. I think it's a pretty big one. I think that goes for all of us because, like, that, we never had one this big, not in a long time. Not since Katrina. Zeta was something, but y- y'all, we're just talking hurricane talk. Let's get into the topics. <laughs> so, Josh, earlier you mentioned 30 miles wide. Really good, uh, really good shot there because uh, the eye of a fully formed hurricane is generally 20 to 40 miles wide, 30 to 65 kilometers for our freedom deficient listeners. Hey. hey. And yeah, it's a dead, it's basically dead calm. Uh, there's maybe a few spots of clouds, but it can be completely clear. When you're in it, you're surrounded by the eye wall, which is actually the most dangerous part of the storm. That's where the highest winds are. It's by far the most severe. If someone, if you're going to get hurt, that's probably where it's going to be. Yeah. So with a hurricane, the typically the closer to the center or the eye of the hurricane you get, the more severe the weather. And I originally, when I was a child, I wanted to be a meteorologist. Like, so I, I learned about a lot of this when I was younger. So uh, I, that's probably where that 30 mile wide radius mm. came from or whatever. Yep. And um, the barometric pressure in the eye is also roughly 10% lower than the rest of the storm, which is going to be very relevant later. As more and more concurrent storms start forming the hurricane, because that's usually how it is. It doesn't like spontaneously boom. It's usually a couple of storms and storm just, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Storm. Um, merge, like they merge or congregation. No, it's no, a good, no, no, it's no. Like, like other things. Sorry, it doesn't matter. Basically, when inclement weather all starts combining, they make a super storm. That's kind of how hurricanes form, more or less. And Russell Crowe um, gets Storm systems, <laughs> storms and storm systems. Sorry, that's what I was looking for. Um, nice, right? But basically, as they assemble, they start rotating around a central point, and this process eventually starts this uh, convection ring and a feedback loop. So, bigger, badder storms with lots of rainfall usually have a really strong updraft, and the air drives all of it to the top, 
And then it kind of forms this inverse cyclone, which is then pulled back in in a loop through the storm. So like, I know that's kind of a lot there. So I'm, I'm kind of give you a strip down because it's kind of hard to explain it without a, a, the graph in front of you or not the graph, just the imagery in front of you. But I, I spent some time on this, so I think I've got it. <laughs> and there'll of course be sources in the show notes. The wind and the storm gets caught in this updraft situation. So imagine the cyclone, just make your hand, make a disc and have air go straight up the middle of it. Right. Okay. And the temperature and pressure differences at the different points of the storm, especially the eye um, results in like these just heavy, 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 heavy storms that form over tropical water. So you have this disc that forms the barometric pressure change and the temperature changes causes updraft. And it eventually collects up high but some of it comes back down, right? And it flows right back into the storm and it kind of becomes almost like this little convection of it. So the air is going like out the exterior middle-ish part, downwards into the center of the storm, up the middle, back out again. It's just looping. Over and over It's and just over looping again. over and over again, correct? Yes. And now, now it doesn't collect all of the air, of course. Right. And in theory, that air should be burning off. Like it should go up the middle and just dissipate in the sky, but it doesn't. Now, this work gets really interesting. It's why I really want to explain this kind of convection oven thing happening. The eye itself and why that thing forms is not really well understood. Because we understand why the eye is maintained, but we don't really get why it forms in the first place. Um, and we don't really know why this like convection happens towards the exterior of the eye. Why this stuff, the air is pulled around and back down and in. So like we understand what happens once it's going, but our understanding of how it ignites is not very clear. So we, yeah, that's basically it. We understand the feedback loop. But we don't understand exactly what kicks this thing off. We just know what the conditions are that create it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. That's actually kind of surprising to me. Yeah. Like, I, I read a couple I things you're... on Noah and stuff and they were like, we almost get it. They're like, it's, it's, it's like, why the eye? Why is it so consistent? Why is it exactly that way? You know, because aside from storms that aren't fully formed, they don't, you know, the eye's pretty clear usually. It, it, it's, if they're not fully formed, it's harder to see. It's a little more compacted. It doesn't quite, it's not quite so clear. But the stronger the storm gets, the more cleared out it becomes and they always form like this. And it's also, just, it, yeah. If anybody's um, unfamiliar, NOAA is NOAA. It's the national oceanic and atmospheric association. I want to say, yeah, yeah. Thank is. you for saying that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so correct me if I'm wrong, okay. feel free, but I was reading through a lot of this stuff and they, they uh, over and over, they always had these little caveats about the formation of the eye. And they kept saying like, eh, we don't, we kind of get it you know it's it's one of those things it's not a deep mystery but they haven't quite finished like modeling it i guess so yeah that's the eye uh, uh one thing that i did <laughs> nice. want to bring up and, and it, that's important is you know we everybody jokes about meteorologists and and the weather about how it's unpredictable and they're only you know they're the only job where you can get it wrong so many times and 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 still keep it or whatever you want to say but one of the things that I, I always thought was one of the most interesting jobs was the the hurricane uh, jets that would go through into the storm to yeah. read uh, all the pressure and, and gauge the winds and, and things like that. And the other thing that I also wanted to say that, that kind of goes along with this is as that storm gets stronger and that eye gets more defined, you actually have a more 
symmetrical storm because it's able to to gel and become um, more compact and and the and and what what's the word I'm looking for like complete right so it's able to to really gather all of its strength and 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 it's not all wonky or things like that because not not every hurricane is like you see the infograph or the picture when they talk about it on the weather channel or or, or whatever you're watching and they they have this picture of a storm but they're not always symmetrical like that it's not always so well defined and it always depends with the eye, like the, with the way it's moving, where um, where the bands are going. So you might have a longer western side of a storm and a shorter eastern side, or it might be um, uh, a, the eye might be more towards the south of of the storm. So, but as the stronger it gets, the more it's actually in the center of it as well. I thought that I think that's also important to understand too, because most people and and it's fair when you see people talk about hurricanes and the trajectory of where the storm's going to go, because that's one thing that, that was really great about Ida was that from the moment this thing really formed. Um, and it got closer to land. They really did a great job of dictating the track of where it was going to go. So we were able to prepare. And that's why Ida was so much better for at least for us than it was Katrina. Because there was even a couple of days before Katrina, there was still uncertainty which way it was going to mm-hmm. go. But we knew with Ida when it was going to hit, we're like, nope, we know it's going to be here, you know, Saturday Saturday morning, Sunday night kind of thing. So make sure, you know, Thursday they were able to really let get the word out and let people shelter in place or evacuate or things like that. So um, I just wanted to point that out, though, because it's not always like what you, what you see in a picture of what a hurricane is being so well defined. But that eye is very important for the formation of, of the storm, and that will tell you how strong it is. Okay. And, you know, feel free to correct me on my assertion about how much we understand it, because if if there's more to it, I'm, I'd love to be wrong. I was like Ryan. I was a little surprised. Yeah, but, I am too. you know, I was I was on different flights and it just I kept getting that line. Just they all kept alluding to this. You know, there's a little bit of a mystery to the eye itself. So uh, any information would be great. And feel free to tell me I'm a big, big dummy. <laughs> Okay, so are we ready for the next topic? Yeah, yeah, go for it, Ryan. Okay, so this one is going to sound niche to anybody that doesn't generally live in a hurricane area. or I don't know, maybe it applies to the blizzards too. I'm not quite sure. Uh, But let me know if it's the case. Uh, We're going to talk about a little bit of storm prep. And the first topic is going to be an X taped over windows will help reduce or prevent shattering. I assume that both of you have heard about this. Yes. There's still places um, to this day where you go that have been around for a while where you still see the tape on the windows. They just never took it down. I do this really morbid thing before storms where I do a drive around before it's about to hit. And then I do uh, a walk around because usually I can't drive after it hits. Fair. And just see like what's going on, how people have been prepping or such. It's just it's an interesting way to see the amount of preparedness in general areas um, or not. But something that I still see is taped over X's on windows. And supposedly this reinforces the window and stops shards from spreading around if the window were to break. Um, I'm going to go ahead and ask you to how you feel about this. And I think you already know the answer because you've probably been scolded about it enough by one person or another around here. <laughs> but I think it's still important to talk about. 
Uh, so I've I've heard about this, and like Ryan said, the basic theory is that when the window breaks, the tape will hold it in place, so that way you have more chunks of a window together as opposed to little itty bitty pieces uh, that go everywhere. But it's to me when I started thinking about this, I kind of landed on thinking about a car accident. So most cars nowadays that when you actually shatter a window like if you need to break a window because you drive and you fall into some water or you get into an accident and and it hit another vehicle hits your your like passenger uh window or anything like that those are meant to break into a bunch of tiny little fragmented pieces that's what they're supposed to do uh that way you don't have big shards of glass just flying around spreading around or things like that so I kind of landed on the fact now that you shouldn't do this because you want those tiny fragmented pieces because uh, it's safer for you. You've yeah, uh, Greg. Anything else? Yeah, I just don't like. My logic is basically the tape. If it did anything, would have to be attached to the structure of the house to keep hanging and holding the tape. I mean, holding itself, and you would only be able to secure whatever the tape's touching, potentially. So, I mean, it's at the end of the day, tape's cloth, right? I mean, it's like it's not really going to reinforce. I mean, maybe it'll save you like an extra like two miles per hour, you know, in the, <laughs> in the same way you can remove a smudge with spit as opposed to cleaning supplies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's a good it's, one. I, I just, I don't know if that's like quite the metaphor I'm going for analogy, but I think that kind of tells y'all what I'm thinking here, right? It's like, does it make a difference? Technically, yes, but not really. Like, that's, that's kind of where my head's at. All right. Uh, good start. Um, so I tried to source from a lot of places from this, and it was mainly a lot of, like, local news sources that, you, that I'd have to look at in order to find any sort of, like, information about this. Uh, there's a couple of safety things that I'll get into about it, uh, but I think the best example was uh, Fox 13 decided to do a test on this about... Um, testing whether the X over the glass will work. Um, and they said, quote, we decided to put it to the test using the old spud gun. So they decided to tape up oh a God. window <laughs> and shoot a fucking potato cannon through it. Nice. I don't know if anybody's aware of what a potato cannon is, but it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a big PVC pipe attached <laughs> to a being slightly wider by PVC pipe. an angry pipe. potato, it's a cannon that you can take care of it promptly. <laughs> yeah. You, you shove a potato in there, you put some... Um, hairspray. Uh, some hairspray generally in there, and you have like a... Uh, a wick. A spark wick. Yeah, and you spin it, and it like blasts that potato across a spillway. I don't know anything about that. I don't have any personal experience whatsoever. But it only that's fires what I across hear you spillways. Can do with it. It's not anything to do with what Ryan's talking about. And they only fire across spillways. Yeah, you don't. Yes, you, you should not shoot it off the top of a levee either. So Never. Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Anyway, so meteorologist Paul Delgado actually shot a potato cannon through, and there was a uh, noted difference between the two windows. And uh, he said, this is a piece of potato. So remember, during a hurricane, which would be flying debris, you'd be taking about, a fl- uh, you'd be talking about flying two by fours going through. So he's trying to make it somewhat analogous to what could possibly go through your window. And he said, obviously it doesn't work well at all. Here's why. In the video, uh, they uh, shot the potato through and two things happened. The first window shattered to pieces. The second window that was X'd up 
Guess what? It made more flying projectiles. Yep. This time, there were bigger shards <laughs> because the glass is held together a good bit, and a couple of spots will shatter, but then you have, like, some final destination shit yes. heading into your house. Yes. I mean, I want you to consider this. Greg, I'm glad you said, like, the it reduces it by two miles an hour or so by the slight resistance that any tape will give. <laughs> uh, but really... Uh, if you think about it, once that window's shattered, do you think the wind's going to really die down unless things are going to start flying through? No, you're just going to have like a, a at least, let's see, um, I want to just give a uh, very conservative guess and say 50 to 70 miles per hour shard going through your window. Yeah. Um, that's like any like rookie MLB pitcher tossing a piece of glass straight at your fucking face if you are not in the right place at the right time. <laughs> Those shards, you do not want hitting you. You want to be peppered with little pieces of glass. That's why a lot of people like um, survive shotgun blasts much more, like from a distance, much more than they would a bullet or something like that. You just don't want big pieces going into you, okay? Um, big sharp pieces. Um, and that's what the tape will do. It will just like clutch on to that glass and make sure bigger pieces are going to be flying at you after the initial break. Um, it's dangerous. Nobody wants to do that. Um, I got a couple of extra bits on this. Number one, uh, I don't want to like, uh, promote this channel whatsoever, but I was doing some YouTube digging and I found a hurricane tape company no. that was making tape specifically for hurricane windows. <sighs> and they were doing the comparison. Yeah, it was really bad. They were just like, look, we're going to go ahead and um, just uh, toss like this shit at the window and see what happens uh, with a untreated window. And then one where you put an X over and one where you do full coverage. So they had like the X and then they had the full coverage of the window and it, you can see the shards of glass forming as they are doing that. Like, look, your window's there, but they're not considering the fact that like a hurricane is a constant bombardment of at weakest 70 miles per hour winds hitting the window, trying to push that tape off. It's going to come off. It's not a one and done exactly, thing. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, don't fucking buy their stuff. That's a that's a grift if I ever seen. Well, yeah, buy the, the official rumor flies <laughs> brand tape for your windows because yeah. we scientifically proven how to do it. Uh, so they, uh, you know, to be fair to this company, they may not realize what they're doing, but at the same rate, they're making people much less safe with their like. I'm glad the company didn't take off. Uh, that's like a so, that's like a 3 a.m. infomercial. I would imagine to see Billy Mays here for hurricane tape. Yeah, um, I, I'm pretty sure I did link the videos in the uh, show notes. But um, just as well, um, there was also a Federal Alliance for Safe Households that did a promo on this. And uh, if you didn't know what the acronym for that, it's FLASH. So that's fun. Huh. Um, th they ran a <laughs> uh, Go Tapeless initiative, okay. which is very cheeky because, you know, a, a company called Flash running something called Go Tapeless sounds like it could also be possibly a free the nipple campaign. Yes, it does. Um, I, I think it was intentional. Uh, but they made sure to say, like, look, do not use tape whatsoever. Um, go tapeless wherever you go during a hurricane, you know. Um, so just people... Don't do it. Even if you're through any storm that you think is going to be big, do not tape up your windows. What I would say is either get full-sized wooden boards to put over your windows with clips that you can, like, uh, somehow um, clip in. Or if um, you own a household, storm shutters isn't a bad idea. Um, 
you know, and also another thing to consider, if you're considering staying in a place that you're renting, make sure to ask about what window considerations they have for storms. Because I've lived at a place before where I couldn't do shit about preparedness for the windows because we were in uh, in the situation here in the middle of New Orleans parish where there are, um, you can't even uh, like change out windows because it could technically be a historic preservation site. Yeah where yeah. they just like paint it down you can't do shit about it and there are very stupid regulations uh, some of them i get the historic preservation but at the same rate in terms I was of safety say, don't push my it buttons, can be a, boom <laughs> no it can be a problem though when it comes to like safety for a storm like nobody really thinks about yeah. that but yes those windows can be very susceptible to getting people hurt especially if you can't cover them or put any sort of protective shutter over them so if if you're renting from a place make sure to ask the owner like how can I make sure I'm not going to die by living in here? Because a lot of very old houses are covered with very tall windows. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great point. I didn't even think about it. That's, really, that's a really important point. Yeah. Um, just, you know, ask every question possible before you rent any place. Um, that's my rant about windows. Uh, don't tape them. <laughs> that's, that's a solid no. Don't do it. Um, next up is going to be Josh. Yes, yes, yes. And I am here to talk about the different sides of a hurricane. And I, and I kind of previewed this a little bit before. But specifically, there is a, a um, I guess, a, uh, an understanding that the west side of the hurricane is the most dangerous. And this is compared to the east side. So obviously, if you look at a storm, you can divide it, you know, north, south, east or west. And so the understanding of this is that the west side is more dangerous than the east side and usually there's a multitude of reasons which we will get to in in a moment but in order to understand this we're going to have to operate with the understanding like i said that a hurricane is moving due north that the 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 top of it is the north the bottom of it is the south the right side of it is the east and the left side uh is greg you know so anyway Now, the reason this is important is because if a storm is headed due north... You think you're clever. I (laughs) I thought it was funny. Now, the reason this is important is because if a storm is headed due north, the right side is the east side. If a storm is traveling due west, the right side of the storm is north. Does that make sense? It does, and I've never even considered that. Never even crossed my mind either until I started doing this research. Ryan, did you, you pick up what I'm putting down? Yeah, I'm picking okay. it up, but I didn't think about that. Yeah, either. it just you never think about it because typically they it, it moves in a northward direction around here anyway, uh, coming from the Gulf because that's most where most of them form and get stronger. So bef- unless it's one of those wacky fuckers that decides to do a loop de loop and get another round two in, <laughs> that has happened as well. I I remember that happened to Florida, I believe, or one of the Carolinas. Uh, it was somewhere over there on on the East Coast, but anyway. Before breaking down the sides of a hurricane, there are some baseline things that we need to understand. It's not simply the good side or the bad side. The speed and movement of a hurricane determines the severity of a storm and what to expect on at a given place wherever you would fall inside of a hurricane. Both of these are factors in determining how deadly and devastating a hurricane can be. So the, the, the air in, in which the hurricane is encased in is constantly moving in a changing river or, or like convection oven, like, like Greg said, it's a river of air for the sake of visualization, right? This is what's known as a jet stream. And the jet stream is, is what is able to modify and change the environment and culture of a storm. 
So the movement of a hurricane can either make or break how much it affects its environment. Typically, we see storms move around 10 to 15 miles per hour once they make landfall. The slower a storm moves, the heavier an area is affected with the rain and wind. And if you get hit by a major storm, the best thing you can hope for is that it at least moves quickly. And that was one of the things about Ida in particular was that it was moving kind of, it was moving about 10, 11, 12 miles an hour, somewhere around there. But once it made landfall, it kind of slowed down. Uh, it actually got down to about eight miles per hour, which really isn't great. So I remember watching as the storm was about to hit, you know, that Friday night. And I was like, okay, well, at least it's kind of moving a little bit, you know, 10, 11 miles per hour. But once it got to southern Louisiana, it, I mean, it stopped. It, I mean, it, it really slowed down to about eight miles per hour. And that might not seem like a big difference. But when you're getting hammered with wind and rain like you are, it, it really does take its toll. Um, and I, I, on the flip side of that, on the other hand, is Hurricane Hazel. That hit North Carolina in October of 1954. Uh, and again, North Carolina. And 14 hours later, it was in Toronto. <laughs> it was moving around 60 miles per hour. That's insane to me. Jesus. I, I've never heard of anything like that. And I was, I was flabbergasted when I, when I came across that. Another part of a hurricane's movement. It's like an Uncle Rico. I could throw this big good 150 yards chucking a hurricane from. Bro, it, I, I, that's terrifying to me. Like, like I said, at least it's moving fast to where, like, if it hits you, it's over with relatively quickly. But that's insane to see that that massive amalgamation of, of, of weather just ravaging through United States at 60 miles per hour. So another part of a hurricane's movement is what is known as a wobble. Again, I'm going to use Ida as an example. Wobble with me, wobble with me, wobble. <laughs> it was expected to make landfall and move more west towards Baton Rouge and Lafayette. So they imagined it hitting around the, the greater New Orleans area and then going more westward. But and instead moved more towards New Orleans proper, um, but wobbled back and forth. So it wasn't a direct hit on the mouth of the Mississippi River, which for those of you who don't know, that is the oh shit, absolute worst case scenario is a hurricane hitting directly over the mouth of the river. And for that is the predators game over man, game over man. Quote yes. Right. There. And like, in total. yes, it is. And and specifically where we talk about where it hits, we're, we're talking about the eye of the storm, where the eye hits is where they say, uh, that's where they talk about where it makes landfall. So if the eye of a storm directly hits the mouth of the Mississippi, it's game over, like Ryan said. Now, we've covered some movement of the storm, but I want to break down more about what part of the storm does what, and except for the eye, which Greg already talked about. So the right side of the storm, or the east side, is the most dangerous part. Now, when we, we again, when I say the right side or the east side, that's relevant to the direction we're talking about moving due north. The right side is more dangerous because of the, uh, the additive effects of the hurricane wind speeds and the speed of the larger atmospheric flow, also known as the steering winds. This also means that tornadoes are much more common here on the eastern side. The west side of the storm has less wind velocity than the east side. But it's not all sunshine and rainbows, right? I mean, the west side typically yields more rain than wind or tornadoes, but that's still a hefty amount of rain that's going to be pouring down uh, and also depends on how fast it's moving. But that's it's still a lot of rain that, that can cause flooding and things like that. So the east side of the storm has higher winds due to the spin of the storm itself. They turn counterclockwise around the center of the eye of the storm um, in addition to its forward movement. So as the storm moves forward, the winds are moving in the same direction and therefore their speeds are combined. So 
math nerds, I, I'm I'm gonna break this down, but I think this is really, really, really fascinating, and I'm, I was so happy to learn this. Let's say you have a storm moving at 20 more miles per hour with 80 mile an hour winds. So just a, a category one hurricane moving at 20 miles per hour in a due north manner. This means that the winds on the east side will be 100 miles per hour because it's the sum of the steering winds, 20 miles per hour, and the wind speed, 80 miles per hour on the east side. And that means that the west side will be the difference of the steering speed from the wind speed, which would make the winds on the west side to be... 60 miles 60 miles per hour exactly i never knew how i'm a math nerd i'm (laughs) smart josh i never knew how they calculated that but it's it's so simple and it makes complete sense so that's how you determine which side of the hurricane will have what winds and things like that so yes this is actually true the the uh the east side of the of the hurricane tends to have more winds and hurricanes and things like that but so actually, never mind. It's false. The west side is not the most dangerous. The east side is more dangerous. I'm sorry. So that was, the original thought was the west side was more dangerous. It's the east side that's more dangerous. So the west side has less wind velocity but heavier rain, but the east side is more prone to tornadoes and, and things that can cause higher destruction and higher wind speeds. Make sense? Okay. That yeah. is completely different. I, mean, I thought this was going to be a, a, you know, yes, I mean, that was... Let me rephrase that because that didn't make any damn sense what I just said. <laughs> that was wildly different than what I expected. And I was more just trying to communicate like I thought it was going to kind of be an either or situation. Like maybe one side was actually worse or but it just it just turns out it's not literally any of it. Correct. Yeah, it's just completely. It's lo- we're looking at the completely like, wrong thing. We're also talking about what's our metric for danger. Are we talking about immediate damage or are we talking about like um withstanding damage i mean flooding for a while really fucking sucks but when it, you know also wind blowing shit down like completely that's a, a whole nother can of beans so uh yeah i i i think in terms of wind damage it's definitely the more dangerous side i look at it like this the the western side will have heavier rain but you can prepare for for flooding right that's something that you know that's going to come with a hurricane you know there's going to be a lot of there's going to be wind and you know there's going to be rain tornadoes are more of a spur of the moment and okay we need to do something right now we need to get to safety we need to get to um our our safe room or whatever we designate or things like that like i i would imagine that as the more dangerous aspect of a storm that's kind of where my head went but that's right ryan i mean like we gotta we gotta talk about the metric of danger right like how we define it so that's kind of where my head was so that's why i went with the east side as being more dangerous than the west side yeah, I think that's fair. All right, Greg. Cool. I believe you are up with our next topic. Yes, I am. So I'm here to talk about the difference between hurricanes and typhoons. And surprise, there's a third option, cyclones. Oh, okay. Nice. What do y'all what have y'all heard and what do you think? Okay. Uh my guess so far. I've heard two different variations of this. Number one, since you threw the whole cyclone thing in there, I'm going to say that hurricanes and typhoons are both cyclones. They're just two different types of them. The two different things that I've heard about the differences between them is either their spin direction or which body of water they form in. Generally, if they're in the Atlantic, they are a hurricane. If they're in the Pacific, they are a typhoon. That is 
the two different versions, and I have never looked it up to confirm which one's right. <laughs> uh, cool. I'm, I'm with Ryan. I've heard the body of water in which it forms determines whether it's a hurricane or a typhoon. But I, but I, I kind of like what Ryan said, that they are both types of cyclones. I like that. So I'll go with the that. other thing I've heard is that they spin different directions. I yeah, yeah that's the other <clears throat> thing. I, yeah. But I I don't know. Sorry, did you say that, Ryan? I did. But oh, yeah, I'm I think sorry. I totally me. missed it. I'm sorry. I was probably reading my no, notes. No, <laughs> Australia Coriolis effect. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I, that's kind of where my brain landed as well. Was depending on which hemisphere that it's in or something. Cool. Wait, Coriolis effect has nothing to do with it. What am I fucking? Whatever. Just uh, sorry, Greg. I'm embarrassing myself. <laughs> I, I'm the one who literally just mentioned one that you said already. So, um, <laughs> the. The answer is actually kind of simple. Um, Y'all picked up on some of it. So hurricane and typhoons are location specific names for a certain tier of tropical cyclone, right? So cyclone is the umbrella term. Now, according to NASA, (laughs) if wind speeds reach 33 meters per second, AKA 64 kilometers an hour, AKA, uh, wait, that's not correct. Then I have 64 KT. What the fuck? Oh, knots. I'm an idiot. Okay. Is that correct? If wind speeds reach 33 meters per second, AKA 64 knots, AKA 74 miles per hour, AKA I don't care what you do for kilometers per hour. It's a hurricane if it forms in the North Atlantic Ocean, the Northeast Pacific Ocean, east of the Dateline, or the South Pacific Ocean, east of 160 East. A typhoon is Northwest Pacific Ocean, west of the Dateline. Severe tropical cyclones, or Category 3 cyclones, and above, are in the Southwest Pacific Ocean, west of 160 degree east, or Southeast Indian Ocean, east of 90 degrees east. My head. (laughs) So we were correct, though, that it is location-specific. Oh, and then there's very severe cyclonic storm, North Indian Ocean. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Okay. The last one is it's just called a tropical cyclone if it's not at a hurricane tier, um, if it's in the Southwest Indian Ocean. Okay. (laughs) I know. So it's 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 location specific is what we'll go with. It is, but it's a lot more than you think, and it's not just the ocean. Like, they have it down to, like like I said, west of the Dateline and the Northwest Pacific Ocean versus this. It's all like that. So, yeah, that's the rundown. I think I'm just going to copy and paste that straight into the notes because it's just there's <laughs> no way y'all are going to be all like, wait, well, what, what? Yeah, that's probably the best way to put well, it. Well, we have yeah. it out because— It's just way more—yeah, it's way more defined than I even thought it was. Well, as Americans, we've already established that we don't know geography. So, you know, it's location-specific. <laughs> yeah, but the fact that there's also, like—I thought it was interesting. They specifically listed Category 3 cyclone and severe tropical cyclone and above that are— if it's like in the Southwest Pacific Ocean West, like, like that's its own thing, its own area. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I just find it fascinating. It's much more uh, nuanced and specific, and it's, yeah, it's incredibly well-defined. Yeah. It has very specific parameters for what it's called. But we like that. We like a clear-cut definition like that. I feel like we haven't had a lot of good clear answers lately. Yeah, no, <laughs> I love that. I love that. I really do. I think I'm going to round out the episode with a little bit of hurricane history because I had a little bit of interest and I really wanted to know, hey, what's A, the oldest hurricane on record, and B, the strongest hurricane on record? And 
I found some pretty interesting answers, and some of them are going to infuriate y'all. And by y'all, I mean everybody. All of our listeners are part of y'all. It's a, it's a good word. So the oldest hurricanes on record are kind of dicey because either we have firsthand accounts or kind of like there's a lot of information that we can infer a hurricane happened here. And I want you guys to tell me, what do you think is the oldest hurricane we were able to detect? Just give me about how many years ago. Okay. I would say your best bet is probably something along the line of like when they made almanacs. I'm just taking a stab in the dark here. So like <laughs> that way they can actually record the history. But then but then you get to things like, you know, the printing press and 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 oh, so man. Uh, I'll say 300 years. Okay. Shot in the dark. And Greg? I'm going to say 299 years. <laughs> this isn't Price this is Right. Price is Right rules. <laughs> That's Close a low it. move, dude. Uh, no, I'm not going to this... do that to him. I, I, I'll say, um, I guess it's kind of defined. It's like depends on your definition of like a hurricane record. So like if we find something from Greece that's just like, there was a huge storm and they're like, it was probably a hurricane. You know what I mean? Or like, which of course that's like a little reductionist. The, the Greeks and the Romans have like tons of records, but um, I don't know. I'll say, I, I guess it boils out a definition, but if we're not going to get pedantic about it, I'll say um, 200 years. Okay. Okay. I'm going to tell you that there was a writer or a uh, researcher named Gerald Urquhart uh, whose work is obviously going to be in the show notes, but I'm going to read directly from this. Sorry for directly quoting from these, but uh, I can't paraphrase this better than the way he puts it. I analyzed a five-meter sediment core from a swamp lagoon on the Caribbean coast of Nicaragua that covered the entire 8,000-year history of the swamp. Wow. And, yeah, and the actual title is, it's from Disturbance and Regeneration of Swamp Forests in Nicaragua. Evidence from Ecology and Paleontology. PhD dissertation. The University of Michigan. Okay, I'll stop that. <laughs> and he continues with, uh, X-rays revealed a sand layer dating to 3300 BCE of the type deposited by hurricanes. Pollen analysis showed that this sand layer was followed by major changes in vegetation and fires. This pattern is identical to the wake of Hurricane Joan, which struck the area in 1988 and left 90,000 hectares of damaged swamp forest that burned shortly afterwards. After the prehistoric hurricane, forest vegetation did not return until 500 years later due to repeated burning. Wow. So we we got some, like, uh, before people were writing shit down type of level stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it, well, actually, there probably were people writing stuff down uh, 3300 BCE, but still, that is extremely old. You guys suck at guessing. Um, <laughs> so that's the closest that we can get in terms of like seeing from a while back. And here's the thing that's going to um, upset you guys. The first actual two recordings, um, and I say actual because I... <laughs> Don't trust the source whatsoever. Um, but they are from around uh, 15th century to early 16th century. Do you want to guess who the person Don't you fucking that, do um, it. Don't you do it. No way. <laughs> no way, bro. No. Greg? Go ahead. Greg? I, I'm not piecing it together. Oh, come on. Early... 
Can I? Okay, no. actually, you know what? No, okay. <laughs> no, okay. no, no. I'll give you. A, no, I'll give you a year. No, no. no it was no, fourteen ninety four. No, oh, you no, son of a bitch, no, Columbus. No, you bastard. No. Yes, our <laughs> ultimate enemy and piece of shit of the podcast, not friend of the podcast, Christopher Columbus, has a couple of recordings of hurricanes. All right, everyone. In- thanks for listening to Rumor Flies. <laughs> um, I'm done forever. Oh no, no, no. We're gonna read this. Okay. So, um, the first actual date was around September 24th, fourteen. Did he try to murder it and steal its resources? <laughs> Probably. Wait, um, wait. Yeah, I would say so. Wait, wait, I, I... Uh, don't you hate that a mass murderer has, like, a long record of, um, like, records of things, like possibly recording the first hurricane recorded by at least Western people that was written down? Wait, I, um, I, wait so... I do have to ask a question. You said they give an actual date, September of 1494? Around September 24th, uh, 1494. And I can explain that. That's really interesting. Okay. Yeah. And uh, from Wikipedia directly, sue me. um, A violent hurricane struck Hispaniola near La Isabella um, from the southwest. This is the first hurricane in the Atlantic Ocean, uh, Basin observed and reported by Europeans as it uh, occurred during Christopher Columbus's second voyage to Hispaniola, which is also um, more or less Cuba now. Um, his fleet arrived at uh, Sayona on the 23rd of September, 1494, and the storm occurred short. Occur- Am I seeing occurred weird? No. <laughs> his fleet arrived at uh, Sayona on 23rd September. Uh, 1494, and the storm occurred shortly after this time. Shortly after the... What the fuck? His fleet arrived at Sayona on 23rd September. His earn, fleet earn, arrived... Earn, earn, earn. I- I'm taking a sip of water. Earn, 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 earn. Uh, occurred. Occurred. Not not, occurred. not like a curd like you eat a, cur- like a cheese curd. Occurred. You're sa- His fleet arrived at Say. His fleet arrived at Sayona on 23rd September, 1494, and occurred. I'm gonna kill myself. His fleet arrived at Sayona on. Tw- Fuck me. His fleet arrived on September 23rd, 1494, and the storm occurred shortly after this time. So he saw it. He doesn't have much of a writing on it. Um, unfortunately, he survived, um, and uh, he lived to see another hurricane on uh, July 10th, 1502. And it goes. A rapidly moving hurricane with a small diameter probably came from the vicinity of Granada, moving northwesterly through a Mana Passage. On the fourth of the voyages of Christopher Columbus, God damn, he did that many. Why didn't it just like why didn't it just fucking sink? Why didn't anybody stop uh, him? He He predicted the storm took refuge in a natural harbor on the Dominican Republic. Meanwhile, his rivals refused to heed his uh, warning and sent a convoy of 31 treasure ships towards Spain. According to Bartolomé de las Casas, 20 ships perished in the sto- with the storm, unfortunately without Christopher Columbus, without any man, small or no great, one, escaping. Like, lit a pipe and neither dead gunpowder room or anything. No one just made one little mistake. Just God. And neither dead nor alive could be found. Those drowned, including Francisco de Bobadilla, who probably sucked too, and Francisco Roldan. It was the first great maritime disaster in the New World, oh. unfortunately not involving Christopher Columbus. Uh, the <laughs> only ship that reached Spain held money and belongings of Christopher Columbus. Oh, at least that happened. Okay. Uh, who survived the storm with Rodrigo de Bastiat, ba- Bastidas? Uh, the center likely crossed the Hispaniola about 40 miles east of the city of Santo Domingo, which smashed flat 
the death toll likely exceeded 500 wow. and unfortunately was not 501. <laughs> and uh, so that's the accounts of Christopher Columbus for finding the earliest <clears throat> hurricanes that we can at least confirm. Now, as for the strongest, I kind of separated things. And at first, I, like a dum-dum, decided to look up the largest hurricane on record. And that was known as Typhoon Tip. It was the largest tropical cyclone on record with a diameter of about 1,380 miles or 2,220 kilometers. Whoa. Almost double the previous record of 700 miles or 13, uh, sorry, 1130 kilometers set previously by Typhoon Marge in August 1951. At its largest, Tip was nearly half the size of the contiguous United States. Wow. So, well, uh, goddamn, pretty big. Yeah. However, I did not realize that biggest and strongest are not the same thing. This one was only about 160 miles an hour. Mm. For reference, Hurricane Ida was uh, 150 miles per hour at its peak. So, mm. what was the strongest? Well, I'm going to let you guys guess the year, and you know what? For extra um, little bits, maybe the name. You got one? Hmm. Uh, let's – I have no idea. I wouldn't even begin to guess. I mean, the only thing was is – that Cat 5 that hit – Um. oh, what year is that? <clears throat> I gen- was it – my guess would be there was a storm that hit in the early 1900s that really decimated like Galveston and East I know Texas. I was thinking about that one too. That was like in 1920, right? That, it was in the early 1900s. Yeah. Somewhere around there. I thought it was even earlier than that. I thought it was maybe pre, so. I thought it was yeah, pretty much Galveston was like a major city in America yes. and it's never recovered and, since. And, and honestly, you can thank that storm for the reason New Orleans is such a big hub for, for ports and things like that with the Mississippi river, because everybody went to Galveston then. Okay, Greg, what's your guess? Fair, fair, fair guesses so far, Josh. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of in the same camp as you. That comes to mind. Um, I mean, I'm not going to say Katrina. I'm not going to say Betsy. I don't know. What's, what's the answer? Yeah. The answer is from 2005. Katrina. Much more recent than I would have expected. It was not Hurricane Katrina. Rita. As a matter of fact, it happened after Hurricane Rita. Katrina. Was it Rita? It was not Rita. Oh, wow. On October 15th, 2005, Hurricane Wilma made several landfalls with the most destructive effects felt in the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico, Cuba, and the U.S. state of Florida. So we were were outside of this one, so that's probably why we had some hindsight. It didn't directly happen to us. We are very selfish people, guys. Just letting you know that. I very vaguely remember Wilma. It doesn't stand out, though. I don't at all. At least 52 deaths were reported, and damage totaled at $22.4 billion, most of which occurred in the United States. After Wilma, no other major hurricane made landfall in the contiguous United States until Hurricane Harvey made landfall in 2017. Um... Let's see. Ending in a record period of 11 years and 10 months. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's insane. So it was pretty insane. Uh, also, after Wilma, no hurricane struck the state of Florida until Hurricane Hermi- Hermine did 11 years later in 2016. It's kind of weird thinking about that, honestly. <clears throat> I feel like that's almost not right, but okay. <laughs> um, it topped out at a maximum sustained winds of 185 miles per Shoot. hour. Once again, Hurricane Jesus Ida, Christ. which did its work was at 150 miles per hour tops this thing wrecked um 
And unfortunately, uh, the Yucatan Peninsula really does take a lot of hits. Like, shout out to Cuba. Shout out to uh, Mexico. They get just as much as like any other uh, United States area in the south. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's big. Um, that was interesting to me. I didn't think the biggest one on record would be so close to now. Yeah, you know? and and the fact that we're all like scratching our head, like I, you know, I don't remember it. Greg vaguely remembers it. Do you remember that one at all, Ryan? Uh, I I've heard the name before. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's like I'm being that's completely honest. At. <laughs> but that's once again, they said at least fifty-two deaths. Uh, there there have been hurricanes with thousands of deaths. So uh, there is a whole lot of factors that show how something is dangerous because Wilma may have been on paper the strongest one with the fastest max max sustained winds but in terms of like the perfect spot of where it lands like I said you could probably get a cat to go up the mouth of the Mississippi and we are not going to be living in New Orleans or anywhere close to it anymore uh for at least a little bit um but at the same rate you know it's just it's all about location 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 and the conditions and also the preparedness a lot of people that took the absolute worst of Ida were like in Tennessee and shit where they had no infrastructure to deal with the rains yeah. and the flooding and people died there. Yeah. Um, Hurricane Sandy was very big, but if Hurricane Sandy had hit New Orleans or anywhere in the Gulf Coast, it may have taken it better than like, say, New York or Pennsylvania or wherever else it hit did because we're prepared. We have a levee and it didn't break this time for uh, for Ida, thank Thank God, obviously, we had all the right things in place. And, you know, obviously the levee breaking was a not very common thing. We're usually pretty prepared in our infrastructure to some degree, at least more than other places. Yeah. But uh, if some place is not built to take on a hurricane, people are going to die. And shit's going to be fucked up for a while. I mean, Jesus, we didn't get power back for, what, a month ourselves? And we're prepared for that, usually. So it's just... It's all about conditions of how well prepared a place is. Yeah. And um, the sad truth is, is you know, um, climate change get is not getting any better at the moment. Um, hopefully some policies will change where we will be trying to at least fix that little by little or hopefully a lot by lot sooner than later. Uh, let's cross our fingers on that. Um, yell at every legislator you have. I don't care if you like him or not. Just fucking yell at him about it. But um be prepared for this stuff. I, I, I'm not trying to be apocalyptic or anything, but um, I think that this episode is going to um, be more pertinent as the years go by. Um, tape up your fucking windows, okay? No, don't tape up your fucking windows. Sorry. Whoops. Um, but do you guys have anything else to say regardless of this? I, I don't mean to be too serious about it, but um, some people have asked us to do some like local myths, but uh, this is kind of relevant to us. Uh, it will vary, but this is very specific. Um, no, just holler if y'all have any questions. Unfortunately, we've been through a lot of these and now as, you know, um, as homeowners and people who have like to really take care of our place, we've had to give a lot of this stuff real, real world consideration. Um, I know also I, I, I feel like this is probably me being, um, uh, what's what I'm looking for? Just paranoid, but I feel like I talked really just outrageously fast tonight. So feel free to ask me to clarify anything. I don't know. I felt like my usual, uh, uh, control. I don't know. My my mic discipline and stuff tonight felt off. So please, if anything was unclear, uh, please do not hesitate to reach out. I'll be happy to share with y'all some of the stuff I wrote down, and obviously the sources will all be there. I find this stuff fascinating. Like like Josh said, you know, you you want to be a meteorologist when you were a kid. I was obsessed with tornadoes, 
And like, I've just always found weather fascinating. There's just, it's crazy. It's this observable, massive force of nature. And unfortunately, sometimes it barrels right down on you. So hopefully some of this stuff helps you out. <laughs> um, also, I, I would like do one little like thank you slash shout out to uh, the very many people that have like on different occasions offer to help us out in several different ways. Like when I know was happening. Oh, absolutely. Yes. We had a lot especially, of support. Yes. Especially a couple of people on Twitter. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say your name out loud, but um, I definitely thank you. I have all of you in mind because um, uh, I, I just don't want to, you know, name names if they don't want to be named. But um, long Discord, story short, is, I, I had several Twitter, people. When, it was amazing. I had a, a, several people like that were just like, hey, if you're in Texas, you have a place to stay and such or whatever. And also all all of our beautiful friends on Discord and everything. Um, just thank you. That's very kind of you, especially with some people in like Texas that have gone through their own problems. I would like to extend you the uh, same uh, charity in case you guys ever have to evacuate as well. And I hope that's not the situation for a while. Um, just, yeah, look out for one another. Check out the Cajun Navy. Um, it, there's, uh, thank you. I guess that's the way I'd like to say it. Cause I don't even know if those people listen to us necessarily. Um, Twitter Ryan is a bit different than podcast Ryan. And I think I like podcast Ryan better. <laughs> a lot more chill. Last topic for the episode, uh, is, is an important one. Actually, it's a very important one. So I'm glad we're going to cover it. It's high rises are the best place to be in a hurricane. Now, this one is rather quick and dirty, but it also involves some physics, but I promise not to make it super detailed. But it is a very important question. Many people think of flooding when it comes to hurricanes, and they would be correct. We covered that with the east side and west side of a hurricane. And again, like I've mentioned before, no matter where you are in, in a hurricane or a storm or things like that, there, there's going to be flooding and there's going to be a lot of water. Uh, some of the most vivid images of Katrina or even what they show in the news during a huge storm is flooding. I mean, it's very, very visible. You know, you can't see the wind, but you can see the destruction wind leave. It, it leaves once it, you know, it goes through somewhere. But flooding is tangible. Water is tangible. It's a very, very clear cut, vivid image. And and this makes sense because uh, flooding is an immediate danger. Swimming in a storm is not easy and it's obviously not recommended by your doctor. An unfortunate reality with flooding is drowning, and it happens in every major flooding event to some degree. We talked about how in Tennessee they don't have the infrastructure uh, when they were dealing with Ida and things like that, and there were people that died. And, you know, being involved in flooding is always scary because you also don't know how much more you can take and how much more is coming, you know. Uh, you can always hope for the best, and, you know, you can always hopefully maybe see a radar or something like that on your phone. But like I said, electricity goes out, cell service goes out. I mean, that was that was a big issue after Katrina was that you you weren't able to call your loved ones or text your loved ones after the storm came through. But anyway, I'm getting away from that. Now, to combat this, some people believe that evacuating to a high rise is the smart move. And logically, I think we can all agree that the higher the elevation, the less likely flooding is to occur or for someone to be trapped out uh, due to rain. This does, in fact, track, but the solution is not that simple. This is where we get very pedantic and very um, actually due to semantics. I would put this in a big false category and I would explain why. Let me get a sip of water. Do it. 
living in this great boot-shaped state of ours, we are several feet below sea level, which I'm sure we've mentioned before, but I don't think we've mentioned it in this episode. But yeah, we are actually below sea level. So when you are standing on the ground of Louisiana, the river is above you. You can actually sometimes stand on the levee and see that when the river is high, the river is above your head. It's a crazy sight to see. Um, This is nothing new, but this means that Water needs to be pumped out because the path of least resistance leads to the bowl around the city, right? I always describe New Orleans as a teacup, uh, just to give it a, a clear, vivid image uh, for people in their minds. It just doesn't flow into a lake or a river. We actually have to use pumps to get there. So when there's a major flooding event, they'll come on the news and say, hey, we got 97 of 98 pumps in service for the upcoming storm. Or, you know, they lost 10 pumps in preparation for this or they're working on them now and they expect to have them fixed before Ida hits or whatever it may be. It is recommended to park cars on elevated ground and to have somewhere elevated to go if catastrophic flooding were to occur. Now, I'm going to stop this right here and give you this PSA for anyone who has ever been in this situation where there is rushing water and they decide to retreat to an attic. Bring something that you can use to bust open the roof if you need to. People die because they go to their attic, to the roof, and the water keeps rising and they have no way out. Bring an axe or something sharp to use in an ocean emergency and you can get on your roof and people can rescue you. It happened during Katrina. Very, sad lesson. Yeah, throughout the storm, there's just very sad lessons. You heard that. You heard a lot of that. Um, Just, yeah, I don't need to explain that. Just please make sure you are prepared for the worst possible scenario. Now, FEMA actually recommends when doing your hurricane preparedness to have a designated lower level shelter to evacuate to if you live in a high rise or elevated building. And the reason why is science, specifically physics. Think about 30 mile an hour winds. If they are blowing directly at your feet, the chances of you getting knocked over are much smaller than if it's blowing at your head. The same applies to buildings, but actually let's take it one step further. And Greg actually kind of glanced over this when he talked about the eye formation of a storm. As you increase the altitude, the air is hotter because heat rises. The hot air is less dense than cold air. Simple enough, right? So as you are closer to the ground, the air is harder to move due to the density. Not to mention that there are other buildings, trees, obstacles in the way that actually cuts down the shear of that wind. You are not afforded that luxury when you are higher up off the ground. The wind speed increases as you gain altitude, which means harsher winds and wind gusts are affecting your windows and buildings the higher up that you are. So the general rule of thumb is that lower levels are safer during a hurricane due to less wind, but make sure you have an evacuation plan in place if flooding gets bad and you need to evacuate to higher ground but that doesn't that but that doesn't mean you need to go to the 18th story of of a high-rise building so um i was on the 17th story of a high-rise during katrina oh and i can tell you firsthand uh we watched this there's a lot of famous photos and videos from the year uh, from the from the year you know when katrina hit and um yeah basically we would watch these, you know, we were downtown on Poydras and we saw all these big hotels around us and you would watch the windows of an apartment or sorry, of a hotel room. They would start wobbling in and out yeah. and you'd see them bend very dramatically. Yeah. Like 
they, they it's actually kind of shocking how much abuse these windows can take. Yeah, so yeah. good engineering. <laughs> um, but they would like go whipping back and forth. And then all of a sudden it would like pause for like a split second and just explode. And the glass would implode into the room. So it was actually really more of an implosion and the wind would fling it in and the other side of the room if it was uh there's other glass the other side would explode out and so you basically you know as it pressurizes and the storm blows through so you just watch rooms erupt and then stuff go launching out the windows yeah. i mean it was wild and you just watch them one after the other just bursting on buildings that, that's got to be an insane sight to see man it was crazy to watch and there was mud from the ground hitting our window on the 17th story oh yeah yeah yeah. I mean, and it's smacking. I mean, you're just like, whap, 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 whap. I mean, you're like, Jesus. I mean, it's, it's no joke, y'all. It's some scary shit, man. It, it really it was, is. It was utterly terrifying. Yeah. And also you fill your bathtub and sinks with water and uh, the water was splashing out of the tub from the building rocking. Wow. Wow. Yes. Swear to God. Huh? Jesus. Now there's also, that means it's good. You want the building to rock. That's a good thing. Yes. Yes. But still, it doesn't feel, <laughs> it's it, it doesn't feel comfortable being in a rocking building, but <laughs> Dude, even it was, if it, it is designed wild. to be that you, way. If you really stopped and like felt, you could kind of tell it was crazy. Wow. Woo wee. But so, yeah, so that's, uh, so yeah, high rises are not the best place to be in a hurricane. No. <laughs> that, that is, that is a big false. So since I kicked this off, um, I'm going to do to y'all what y'all do to me all the time. Josh, where can they find us? <laughs> oh, man. Now I know how you feel all the time. Okay. <laughs> um, we are at Rumor Flies on all uh, platforms. Um, Facebook.com uh, slash Rumor Flies. Twitter.com slash Rumor Flies. Patreon.com slash Rumor Flies. Uh, if you guys want to join our discord, please, uh, feel free. We have that, uh, link in the show notes, link in the show notes. Thank you. I was getting there. Uh, another thing, <laughs> uh, we are rumorfliespodcast.com. Uh, you can find all of our episodes and other ways to reach us about that. We have, uh, a merchandise shop that, um, Greg and I still have not bought baby apparel for, but we should probably get on that. So if you want to check that out, please feel free to do that oh, yeah. as well. Make sure to check out the Educated Mess Network. Please check out Side Characters as well. They are awesome. They are wonderful people. Um, Leah and Jordan are amazing. They have such good discussions. So, uh, yeah. So for this episode of Rumor Flies, I'm Josh. I'm Ryan. I'm Greg. Bye. Bye.